A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport after another fantastic day at the French Open. Day nine. My name is David Law. I'm not in Paris. Catherine Whitaker most certainly is. She's just just had a cheese board as her dessert after a 15-hour day. We can allow Catherine Whitaker to have a cheese board because she's been speaking to Chris Evert first thing in the morning. She's been speaking to Andy Murray live on Eurosport. That's an interview we're going to bring you very soon here on the tennis podcast how are you feeling Catherine uh, uh, tired but buoyed by possibly not my first cheese board of the day <laughs> you've had multiple cheese boards I, I I think I had a sort of a mini cheese board at lunch what, what happens when prese- I find it impossible to say no to cheese so when I'm presented with it, it, it I, I find it just sort of going into my mouth without me having any sort of agency over the process so uh, and there is always it when when in france there always seems to be cheese available and presented to you so uh, yeah i'm 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 a mere victim of of a sort of aggressive cheese board pushing (laughs) french agenda this is going in an unexpected direction. Uh, but anyway, I started it, so I better carry on. Um, Catherine, first of all, we're going to hear, as I said, from Andy Murray talking to you after his victory over Karen Hatchinov um, a, a little bit later in this show. Look at you he... pronouncing Hatchinov correctly, David. You. Anyone you, would I... think you'd had a lesson in it. Well, yeah, just 24 short hours ago, I found out how you pronounce the guy's name. You wait until we get on to Veronica... Sepede Roig or whatever Sepede her name is. Roig, yeah. Yeah, you wait until we get on to her. Right. Anyway, um, first of all, though, Karen Hatchinov, he came out blitzing at the start. I mean, he was firing forehands as hard as he possibly could. He's a strapping lad, six feet, six inches tall. But we said in the show last night, I think we both felt that this guy was tailor-made for Andy Murray. Murray eats these guys up and spits them out, doesn't he? 21 years of age. You can see him bristle at the idea of this young buck trying to trying to encroach on his world number one territory. And it was as though he was saying to him, come on then, come on, hit it harder. Come on, harder. No, harder. Come on. And the guy could not knock him down. That was Andy Murray at his best today, I thought. 
Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. I watched them practice together alongside one another, not hitting against one another, but they, they had to practice on the Philippe Chatrier court this morning alongside one another because morning practice time on Philippe Chatrier is very precious and you have to share it with one other player. And generally speaking, the slots are allocated according to what time you're scheduled to play on the court so usually you will end up hitting alongside your opponent for the day obviously that was Karen Khachanov's first ever hit on the Philippe Chatrier court and there was so much going on I said on my um, piece to camera on Eurosport that it's like a a weigh-in before a a boxing match you know there's so much going on that isn't about what's officially going on and and Khachanov looked completely relaxed but equally, I did see him every now and then look over, dart his eyes over towards Andy Murray just to check if he was watching him. And Andy Murray was not at any stage watching him, which told me that Murray was saying, I'm the world number one. This is about me. You might think that this is about you, you young upstart, but this is about me. And it was exactly as you said, really, kind of the perfect match for Andy Murray and his progress of growing into this tournament because... He loves that kind of... He loves to play somebody that has a weakness. Hatchinov's back backhand is his weakness, similar to Del Potro in the previous round. A, a glorious player, but with a very obvious weakness. And Murray is ruthless and merciless with a player with, with any weakness, and he exploited it today. I had a chat with Mats Volander, who I feel like I mention uh, every minute on the podcast, but that's only because I find everything he says so insightful. I had a chat with him afterwards about Hatchinov. He was, he was impressed. He thinks he's a good player, going to be a better player. But he had a lot to say about the fact that players with weak backhands shouldn't be encouraged when they're young to run around that backhand and play on their forehand. You know, the, you've, you've got to develop the backhand. You shouldn't just accept oh, my backhand is a weakness. I'm going to just run around it and hit my forehand. Maybe, you know, when you're 29 and there's little development to be done, you have to accept your limitations. But at the age of 21, which is where Hatchinov is, you know, you've got to be trying to develop that backhand and hit it and not not be going, oh, you know, my backhand's rubbish. I'm going to try and hit the forehand. So um i i think there's something to be said for that and it's no accident that the players at the top of the game they don't have a weakness do they these days you cannot get away with having any weakness you can have particular strengths but you cannot have a weakness um and look i i think hatchinov's great i think he is the real deal but i think he's going to have to develop that backhand if he is to be the real deal in terms of you know being a top 5 player grand slam contender and it was a it was precisely the performance that andy murray needed and wanted today couple of notes from the 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 commentary on eurosport i was watching the coverage today and 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 one of the things matt was saying in his courtside position was because he was down on the courtside he wasn't in the commentary box and he he was saying that he he feels the guy has just got to stop trying to just hit winners with the forehand he's got to work points and and develop 
ways and almost trust his game to 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 wear Murray down rather than just trying to hit harder and harder and harder and and that that happens a lot I think at that age they they don't have that maturity they don't necessarily have that belief in their in their own physical ability to keep it going that long and you think you've John, got to do too much don't you or they think they've got to do too much you think goodness me I, there's no way I can last or or win any lengthy rallies against the almighty Andy Murray all the only way I'm going to beat him is if I can hit through him you know you sort of panic and think you've got to do too much you know that's a very well-known pattern of the underdog against the higher ranked opponent um incidentally one like murray well exactly particularly uh, just one from the subject of max volander doing his courtside commentary Um, there is a fixed uh sort of gopro type camera that is, is fixed on his face while he's doing that and that camera is constantly live it's not constantly on air but it is constantly giving a feed back to our office our british eurosport office and media control room uh, here on site and it it should be a tv channel of its own watching mats Verlander watch tennis is <laughs> basically the greatest joy in life the guy I mean, he smiley breaks out into a gr- he starts laughing mid rally. He breaks out into grins. He's on the he's literally on the edge of his seat most of the time, and his enthusiasm for the sport is something that should, he needs to have a YouTube channel. Mats Verlandekam needs to have a YouTube channel because it is thoroughly infectious. I, I can't stand enthusiastic people. Can you? <laughs> know what to say to that David the, it's really irritating the irony is too great yeah really irritating um just a, another quick note that John McEnroe was was the complete opposite he his view was that Karen Hachinov is a top 10 player inside the next two years probably less and two and years what is he a was... long time though two years is a long time I don't well, yeah, do you think but... that's that bold a prediction I think it, I think it's a pretty big statement. I mean, if you if you consider that the players that have not yet been inside the world's top ten, Nick Kyrgios has not been in the world's top ten yet. Uh, Alexander Zverev has just about made it. Grigor Dimitrov has barely been in it. You know, yeah, but the, two years ago, Alexander Zverev hadn't been talked about at all. So, and, and he is on the brink of the top ten, isn't he? I mean, he will be a top ten player within weeks, probably, if not a few months maximum. So, and tennis will look very different in a couple of years' time, I think. So, look, I'm not necessarily saying, yes, absolutely, definitely, Karen Hatchinov is a top 10 player within a couple of years' time, but I just don't, I don't think that's that bold a statement. I think that's, you know, not unlikely. Mm. Okay. Uh, At this juncture, I feel it is only correct that I identify that at this point I've definitely been proven wrong about Andy Murray's French Open campaign because I had him out before the quarterfinal stage. And I would say the naivety with which I approached those predictions, and I I think I realised it after I'd made them because I was kind of trying to back out of my prediction almost immediately because it's a slam, because it is best of five we're into a slam it is it is a different beast and you get and players become different players that's why Djokovic losing to Query and Istamin was such a shock if you look at the stats Andy Murray 
hasn't lost very often before the quarterfinal stages. I can't remember what the stat is, some crazy stat about how consistent well, he last, and the others are. The last time it happened was in the fourth round to Kevin Anderson in the 2015 US Open, and that in itself was an utter anomaly. This He's reached 25 yeah. consecutive uh, Grand Slam second weeks. You know, that, that speaks for, it, for itself. Uh, and look, I don't, I, I'm not going to be rubbing any salt into any wounds here David you might be surprised particularly yes. not with your predictions I think I I haven't actually double checked my predictions I think and I'm quite happy to be hammered on social media if I'm misrecalling here but I think I did predict a Murray Nishikori quarterfinal yeah, but you did. I didn't yeah you did I've got them in so, front of me you did I didn't do so with any great confidence at all I did hover over both names uh in that quarter of my prediction spreadsheet for for a very long time so I probably shouldn't be admitting to that should I but look there were, I mean there was so much uncertainty in that portion of the draw that I I don't portion any blame at all really um so but also I'm delighted that my predictions have completely come true and take full credit for that thank you very much <laughs> uh, you also did have you you also did have Grigor Dimitrov in the quarterfinals, so we'll we'll just mention that. Um, yeah. But uh, oh, I, come on, I mean, look, Let me down. I, I had. I had Isner against Zverev at this stage, um, and uh, I feel really stupid. I mean, I Andy Murray, I, I, I would be really nervous about letting him know that, although I probably will at some point. But the fact is, you know, he's made a fool out of me, and, and really, I think if you really think about it and with that history in mind, that, like I say, they're, they're different beasts, these guys, when they get to the big ones. So, as you mentioned, Nishikori next. And Nishikori is, um, has come through. He is having a, a funny old tournament, isn't it? And I, and I don't know whether you, first of all, point to the fact that he has this fragility physically and he has these... He, he lost the first set six love to, to Fernando Verasco. He's often, throughout this tournament, looked out on his feet, and yet he's still there. So what do you do? Do you say, this guy needs to buck his ideas up at the start of a match or do you pay great tribute to the fact that he overcomes these challenges and and still ends up the winner i don't know i don't know is the answer to that you know i i i really don't know where in today's fourth round result the vadasco mental fragility ends and the Nishikori physical fragility wins. Look, no doubt he deserves a lot of credit for winning through that match. He won. He lost a six-love first set. I think anybody that loses a six-love first set in a Grand Slam fourth round uh, deserves immense praise for winning through, especially winning through in four. But why is he losing a six-love first set? And 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 uh, he just doesn't fill you with confidence does he i was speaking to a, 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 a colleague a producer from wow wow which is the primary japanese um broadcaster here at the french open and, and at all the grand slams actually and they're fantastic broadcasters wonderful uh people to work alongside really really professional kind lovely people but obviously they you know they live and breathe for kane shikori he's david beckham in Japan, he's everything, and you know their their viewership lives and dies by his success. So obviously, they analyse his every movement 
uh, with intense scrutiny. <laughs> and I'm not sure they know hugely what to make of it either. They they hope and they keep their fingers crossed because you just don't ever know with him. I don't, I, I, I don't know. Look, he could he could retire in the second game of that quarterfinal with Andy Murray. He he could be or he could do what he did at the US Open. I I can't fathom him. I really can't. Yeah, and and of course he he beat Andy Murray in five sets at the US Open. It was that one that was uh infiltrated by a butterfly. There was the the huge gong from the uh, technical equipment court side. The loud PA speaker went off and seemed to to upset Andy Murray's rhythm. I think it was it was also I think Andy Murray was at the end of his tether, well, really, wasn't he at that point? He'd had the Wimbledon win. He'd won the Olympics. He'd gone to the final of Cincinnati. And I think he, he pretty much hit the wall physically and, and mentally and emotionally at that point. Take nothing away, again, from Nishikori. He won the match fair and square, but that's what happened then. Let's have a little listen to the interview that Catherine did with Andy Murray straight after this win over Karen Hashinov. Um, she had him in the Eurosport studios. Good little chat. Plenty of subjects covered. Let's have a little listen. World number one, Andy Murray, is through to the quarterfinals of the French Open once again, and I'm delighted to say he joins me in the studio now. Andy, how good does it feel to be reaching the second week of a slam and knowing that you're improving with every match? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously didn't come into tournament playing well at all. Um, but with each each day, I've felt a bit better, uh, gained in confidence with each win and in practice, been hitting the ball a little bit cleaner, a bit better every day. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, last two matches in particular, I've played some, some really good stuff from, from start to finish. Uh, so a few things could still be a bit better, but from where I was 10 days or so ago, uh, it's re- really positive. You talked on the eve of the tournament about the struggle that you're experiencing and about trying to enjoy that struggle. Do you feel now like the struggle's over or just that you've found a way to enjoy it? Um, I mean, I think I'll kind of look back on that a bit at the end of the, <clears throat> at the, end of the tournament, but, I mean, certainly the last five or six days, not, not just in the matches but in practice, I've felt so much better than I did, you know, the last five, six weeks. Um, you know, I know I know where I was. I know how how badly I was playing in, in practice and how I was feeling in the matches. And I, it's just it's night and day, really. I feel so much better. Um, you know, but I think you know, I reflect on that at the end of the tournament. I still know that you know things can change quickly. Uh, not take anything for granted, but I'm happy with where my game's at heading into the the quarterfinals. Okay, Nishikori next, a rerun of the quarterfinal in New York. It'll be very different here on the clay. I guess you're going to be prepared for a long one, perhaps? Yeah, we, we played uh, a couple of times last year. We played in the Davis Cup in, uh, in February, which was five sets and I think was one of my longest matches ever. Um, you know, and that was, that was a tough one. And then, obviously, again, we played... In the uh, US Open was five sets again, and a match that got away from me a, a, a little bit. Um, you know, so need to need to learn a bit from that. Um, but yeah, good chance. It's a long one. I mean, he he returns well. He's you know very solid off off both wings, um, and always always a tough guy to play against. So expect a long one. 
The fascination in tennis with super coaches doesn't seem to be going anywhere anytime mm. soon, does it? Especially with Andre Agassi joining the party. Yours, of course, is Ivan Lendl. There's always so much focus on him whenever he teams up with you at a slam. We know what he's like in the box. We know what he's like on the practice court because we see that. Can you give us a bit of an insight to what he's like behind the scenes in the locker room? What is, what's the first thing he says to you when you come off court? after a match like today? Uh, well, today he was, he was pumped. He was happy with, with how I played. You know, the first couple of rounds, you know, he was pleased that I, I got through them, um, obviously. What does, what does a pumped Ivan Lendl look like? It's kind of like that, on, like he is on the TV, with maybe a slight, uh, slight grin. Um, <laughs> but, no, I mean, he, he's, he's very talkative, you know, away from the, the cameras and stuff. He, you know, he obviously loves tennis he likes sort of dissecting matches and you know talking about the the tactics and you know the things that went well in in the match today you know the things that as the match went on that, that changed um you know i had a quite a long chat after the del potro match you know how you know with each set i started to play a little bit better i started to see the the patterns of play well and um yeah, I mean, he, 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 talks, uh, he talks a lot away, away from the cameras. You've got your family here with you this week. When we spoke to you last year, you had recently become a dad. Now you're a dad to a 16-month-old. Is she showing any interest in tennis yet? Um, I think she kind of recognises me when I'm on the TV Does just she? now. Um, <laughs> I, I actually I have a video on my phone where I, I have a, like a little mini uh, tennis racket, um, which I tried to, to give to her and she literally grabbed it, kind of looked at it and just walked over and put it straight in the bin um, so I'm not sure <laughs> she's going to be into it so much but uh, yeah it's great that obviously my family's here and get the chance to come uh, come along and, and watch and you know get to see them like now after the match get to spend a bit of time with them uh, before she, she goes off to bed uh, which, is, which is great how special. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. We wish you the best of luck for your quarterfinal and hopefully beyond. Thank you. So, Catherine, there is uh, Andy Murray talking to you on Eurosport. And two things that, that struck me immediately. One was the expression night and day uh, in terms of the difference between his form relatively recently and his form against Hatchinov and Del Potro in the previous round. I mean, he was clearly buoyed by by the way things are progressing. Oh, without question. I mean, he was fantastically relaxed in that interview today. You know, it was a very... For various sort of behind-the-scenes production-based reasons, it was quite a stressful thing to get uh, Andy Murray in our studio today. We were, it was all quite last-minute, quite pressed for time. Um, we were very much hoping we would, but you just don't know until... Uh, at the last minute, because he he's no obligation to come to the studio. He can he can say no. You know, I'd rather not. I'd rather get my rest and uh, just do a straightforward three questions after the presser. So, um, for various behind the scenes reasons, it was all quite a, a stressful situation. You just don't know which Andy Murray is going to show up. You don't know whether he's going to be relaxed and chatty or, or not. And I was, I knew the second he walked into the studio that it was all going to be fine because everything about his demeanour was a man in control and, uh, you know, in the driving seat of, of what's happening to him this couple of weeks. And the contrast 
was was stark exactly as he said you know the phrase night and day it was clear in his body language and and the way he talked and and, and behaved and reacted to everything you know I asked him as you heard there some some more personal questions which I I don't always feel comfortable asking Andy Murray because he's a very private chap I don't feel necessarily feel comfortable asking any tennis player or professional sports person because you know they're they're private people their their private lives are off 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 limits and you know we've no expectation that they'll talk about them but he was very open there it was a really lovely little anecdote about Sophia and uh, it was delightful you know you could see his face light up at, at the mention of her and and uh, it, I, I wouldn't have asked that question had I not been speaking to a completely relaxed and at ease Andy Murray let's put it that way and um, I, I think he's going to beat Kane Ishikori I think he's going to play Stan Wawrinka in the semi-finals I, I'm not going to go any further with that prediction just now but I think that's what's going to happen so when Andy Murray plays Stan Wawrinka in the semi-finals who's going to win oh <laughs> you you meanie David you mean I'll I'm not going to say yet don't know, I don't, right, which is code for I don't know at all. Well, there's no point in asking me. <laughs> I mean, my track record this week is not to, not great. Um, but yeah, that was the other thing I was going to say is that uh, it, it is very clear the way Murray's face lights up at the mention of his daughter, and uh, it's it's lovely, isn't it? Anyway, other other matches, other results. Uh, Stan Wawrinka, you mentioned he defeated Gael Monfils. I mean, it's. It was. It felt pretty predictable, really. Close couple of sets, but you always felt that Vavrinka, he's the one who takes the chances. He's the one who's assertive. And Monfils, Monfils is too reactive, I'm afraid, in these big matches. And, uh, and you know, to me, it was an inevitability. Um, we had uh, also, we now know that Vavrinka will face Marin Cilic, who is in incredible form at the moment. Quietly, he, he's not making any fuss at all, but he's not dropped a set. Uh, poor old Kevin Anderson had to retire uh, midway through the second set, three love down because of injury. I'm not exactly sure what the problem was, but Cilic was comfortably in charge at that point anyway. Hasn't lost a set. And the other bit of news that has come out is that Cilic's former coach, Goran Ivanisevic, who led Cilic to the US Open title a few years ago is no longer working with Thomas Burdick, Catherine. Yeah, quite right. That news broke this morning. A statement was put out. I actually sort of... I don't know if any, any any of this stuff is coincidence, really, but I spoke to him today as part of the... He's playing in the Legends event uh, this week, as he always does here at, and at every Grand Slam, I think. Well, not at the US, US Open, because I don't think they have a Legends event anymore, but he always plays the Legends, and uh, so I caught up with him earlier, and uh, I asked him about... about Andre Agassi and working with it. He speaks particularly well about Novak Djokovic, so I had it in my mind to to ask him about that. And so I asked him about Andre Agassi, what he made of him being a coach, what he made of his impact on Djokovic, and what he made of him not being here anymore. And Goran couldn't wait to get out the words, I don't think it's going to last. Those were the first words he said to me in that interview, that it's not going to last. He couldn't have said it any more strongly. It's great to see Andre on the tour, but I don't think it's going to last. I don't think it's going to last. I don't think Andre wants to be a coach. I love Andre. He's one of my favorite tennis players. But yes, too many things to 
be a coach to somebody like Novak Djokovic. You need to be a coach for 20, 25 weeks, and I don't think he has three weeks free in the all-year calendar to be a coach somebody. In the week he's already spent with Novak, have you seen any impact on his game? But to have uh, to just look Andre Agassi on the stands, even if he's not your coach, it's uh, nice to see him. And imagine sitting in your box. It's, uh, you can't play bad. You have to play. But like I said before, I don't think I don't see Andre with his time, with his uh, who is Andre Agassi being on the tour. I think I more see Steffi Graf becoming a coach than uh, Andre. Look, I am reading between lines here. Yes, we both know Goran quite well, but only, you know, as tennis journalists to tennis players, you know, we you know, we don't know him inside out. So I am very much reading between a line here, but I think Goran thinks I want that job. That's what I think. Ooh, how exciting. What I really think is that he's listened to the tennis podcast and thought, yeah, that is a dream partnership. I'm going to, Catherine's right. I'm going to suggest to Novak that this might be the the right thing to do. Look, I mean, this is hugely preemptive because at the moment, Novak Djokovic is coached in a weird sort of absent way by Andre Agassi and that's great. And uh, they both seem to be enjoying it. But I'm just passing on what uh, 2001 Wimbledon champion Goran Ivanovic said and what he seemed to sort of imply between the lines. So there we go. Oh, Catherine Whittaker with the intrigue here on the Tennis Podcast. And I must just correct you ever so slightly, Catherine, because not only do Goran and I work to work alongside one another in a sort of tennis journalist kind of capacity, we are, of course, fellow West Bromwich Albion fans as well, aren't we? So uh, that that's really important. Um, it's not important at all. Uh, so it leaves uh, Murray against Nishikuri, then Vavrinka against uh, Marin Cilic. We've got Nadal tomorrow up against Pablo Carena Buster, who I heard uh, today on the rival television channel ITV4. Uh, Jim Courier predicting that that would be a straightforward 2-2-2 two, two, and two sort of job for Nadal. And then Djokovic against Dominic Thiem, uh, which is... Yeah, I mean, that's the the big match, I think, out of those two, isn't it? The team against Djokovic is, is fascinating. Yeah, they've, they've tied themselves a bit in knots, the tournament, uh, and landed up in a situation where they've had to put that unquestionably the most mouth-watering of the men's quarterfinals tomorrow on Longlen because they've already put Rafael Nadal twice onto Longlen and, and you can't really... I mean, I raised eyebrows the last time they put him on to long then. I thought they would only do it once in the tournament. And I certainly don't think they can do it three times. But Djokovic had only been out there once so far. So they're sort of in a situation where they had to put that on long then, despite it being the far better match. I I agree with Jim Courier. I mean, not just because I agree with Jim Courier, but also because how, I mean, look, no one's going to listen to me if I try and disagree with Jim Curry. I mean, why would you listen to me? But I, I think that's a great matchup for Nadal. He traditionally does play great against Spaniards, and Spaniards do, with the odd exception, play, tend to play similar tennis. They'll give him a nice, clean ball, and he'll thwack it away. Um, 
pos- possibly not two two and two. They could be a you know a six four set or a seven five set maybe. But basically, that's going to be a straight sets victory, I think, for Nadal. Whereas on Longlen, I think things could be interesting between team and Djokovic. I know their meeting in Rome is an utter damp squib and it made me think that maybe this matchup just doesn't work for Dominic team. Maybe it's just styles of play, no matter how good he gets, it's just never going to be a matchup that works. But He's a problem solver, he's a trier, he's a worker. I think there are parallels between him and Carl Edmund, which I obviously is a very flattering comparison for Carl Edmund. He very much pales in comparison level-wise at the moment. But in terms of their attitude, I think there are great comparisons. And I think he will have learnt an enormous amount from being thrashed by him in Rome. And I, I, I think Djokovic will probably win and set up the semi-final with Nadal. But... I think it'll be one heck of a match and a far better contest than what we saw in Rome. Yeah, team incidentally, uh, the player who um, played against Djokovic last year on the same court and uh, and got pretty heavily beaten. I, I heard actually that that uh, from Carol Bouchard that that Djokovic was was really put out at being put on the Longland court last year in that match and that his coach, Marion Vider at the time, went nuts about it and it ended up bringing out his best tennis because you know what a defiant character Djokovic is it, and how it, he often plays his best it tennis. Was due to, it was due to weather, wasn't it? They they shouldn't have had to put any of the, either of the semifinals on Longland. But, of course, weather intervened and one of them had to go out there and they were played simultaneously I think in the end, and he got the raw end of the deal, but somebody had to have the raw end of the deal, didn't they? So I I feel for him, and you're absolutely right, it brought out the best in him. It'll be interesting to see how he enjoys being out there tomorrow, but I don't think you can argue with it, because nine-time champion Rafael Nadal has played on there twice, and... Djokovic has only played on there once, the one-time champion, yes, the defending champion, but nine times nine times and he's been out on long then twice so i'm not sure any any grievance can be particularly justified really fair point catherine now uh you go and get yourself another cheese board in and we'll have a little chat about uh, the women's side of the draw uh, in just a moment hold up what was that Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. So Catherine has her cheese board replenished and uh, we have uh, the women's draw to talk about now because uh, Simona Halep against Carlos Suarez Navarro was the first tennis I watched today. And blimey, you had to be quick, didn't you, to, 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 to get an eyeful of it because um, Halep was just in destructive form. I mean, blimey, she, it, she, she blew me away. So goodness knows how Carlos Suarez Navarro felt. They had a incredibly close head-to-head going into it. 6-5, I think, really neck and neck. But on clay, Suarez Navarro had won all, I can't remember, four or five of their previous meetings. Certainly Halep had never beaten Suarez Navarro on clay. And that felt to me like a pretty... Uh, decisive statistic. It was something that Chris Everett and I talked about courtside before the match. You know, I I can believe that when I read that in the notes. I asked her what specifically it was in Carlos Suarez Navarro's game, which troubled Simona Halep. And, you know, she doesn't give you any rhythm. She doesn't give you any pace. It's incredibly difficult. She frustrates you. And Halep is a player that is prone to frustration and to getting down on herself and to perhaps lacking in patience in the tough moments, you know, it just doesn't suit her. But there was not a whiff of any of that today. And that, for me, means that Simona Halep is, once again, the firm favourite for this title. Uh, And I I, I can't hear many people arguing that. It doesn't mean she's going to win it, because it is still an incredibly open French Open. We're going to have a brand new Grand Slam champion, of course, but she is the firm favourite, without question. The the one caveat I would have just about that is even when she was I think six one four one up, she suddenly got a little bit tense when she couldn't serve out the next game really really quickly and and I I think that if somebody can take her close enough in a match, you may see the nerves come out, you may see see that anxiety um, show itself, which we've seen so often with her. Her next opponent is Alina Svitolina, who is the player who beat her in the, the the Rome final. Now, Halep was was dominating that match until she turned her ankle, and then it turned around pretty substantially. But Svitolina is made of pretty stern stuff. She got out of jail today because she was up against Petra Martic. It was 5-2 Martic, one game away from victory she lost five games in a row and, and Eurosport who, who was showing that match on the Eurosport player that Eurosport one just sort of flashed over to it for a couple of points while it was 5-2 and suddenly she could not put a ball in court I mean I didn't see the whole next five games so maybe I'm doing Svitolina a disservice here but it looked to me as though Martic was completely choking yeah, she choked without question. I think she pretty much confessed to that in post-match press and Svitolina got out of jail. But we all know winning a Grand Slam probably requires a bit of luck every now and then. You know, players 
even great champions benefit from choking to some degrees uh, uh, every now and then. So I don't think that necessarily says anything about Svitolina. Um, I know we differ in our predictions about what's going to happen between Halep and Svitolina. I don't disagree with you about Halep still having wobbles, even in a match where she was utterly dominant. Uh, I, don't, I think if she is going to win this title, it will come wobble-laden. It's not going to be plain sailing. It's definitely not going to be a Halep's playing great tennis. It's not going to be a Serena Williams-esque procession to victory, regardless of how well she's playing, let's put it that way. There will be wobbles galore if she does end up winning it, and indeed if she doesn't as well. Uh, I know you think Svitolina's coming through that much with Halep, or certainly you did at the start of the tournament. I think Halep's coming through. I think she'll get revenge, but... I, I, it's going to be close, isn't it? Well, I have to say, I mean, it may not be close because certainly when Halep is at her best, she is just a superior player on clay against Selena Svitolina, in my opinion. And the reason I went for Svitolina is because of the injury. Uh, I thought that Halep would not be moving like this. And, and frankly, well, I was wrong. So there we are. Uh, and I've said that a few times today, haven't I? Um, Caroline Garcia defeated Elise Cornet in the, uh, in the tense Battle damp squib, David. They France. even shook hands well, at the net and everything. Oh, really disappointing. That was supposed to be the aggro match. Yeah, you love all that, don't you, suddenly? <laughs> I've suddenly turned you around. Um, but yeah, it was a bit because Garcia, frankly, was so good. And, that, and it did a- appear awesome. that it had taken some aggro to get the best out of Caroline Garcia. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. She came out firing and it sort of... Leveled the playing field, didn't it? Because Garcia is a better tennis player than Elise Cornet. I think if she were being completely honest, Cornet would ad- admit that talent-wise, Garcia is the better player. Andy Murray said she was a future number one two or three years ago. You know, talent-wise, she has that in her. There's a lot going on that potentially will prevent her from achieving that. Uh, but on her day, and today fully was her day, uh, she is world beating I mean really world beating perhaps with the exception of Serena Williams on her day but anybody else she she has the potential to beat them and maybe she's you know unlocked something today maybe she's found some kind of key which you know and if she can sort of tap into whatever she found today that sort of even at I think she was 4-1 in the second set I was still saying to everyone uh, that I was watching with, I can't believe this isn't going to a third. You know, it feels like the sort of match where there's going to be a wobble and there's going to be a huge shift in momentum and it's all going to change. And, and okay, there's a little wobble, she got broken back, but but it wasn't much of a wobble. It really wasn't. And she, and she broke Cornet uh, to take the match and she did so very decisively. And I was very impressed with her today. I still don't have any confidence that she'll be able to repeat that in the next round against Pliskova, but it is a big opportunity because as well as Pliskov has done to reach the quarterfinal, she's had a relatively easy route, beat Cepede Roig, Veronica Cepede Roig, your favourite player, David, today, requiring three sets to do so. And, you know, just she's, you know, she's Carolina Pliskova on clay, <laughs> you know, end of story. So it's a huge opportunity. And the problem is she will know it's a huge opportunity. And that that right there could be the problem. Yeah, 
Can I just on a on a note to end this podcast, Catherine? Can I just tell you about Veronica? How do I say it again? Chipede Roig. Chipede Roig, who is of Paraguay, who is twenty four years of age, five feet four inches tall. Her father Eduardo owns a gas station. Her mother Edith is a retired dentist. Her brother is an economist, and her sister Estefania is an architect. She was introduced to tennis at the age of five by her brother and sister. She was an ag- she is an aggressive baseliner with a favourite shot of a forehand. Her favourite tournament is the French Open. Her favourite surface is clay. She speaks Spanish and English. Her tennis idols growing up were Roger Federer and Kim Kleist. She enjoys going to the cinema and spending time with her family and friends. And if she hadn't been a tennis player, if she hadn't have been a tennis player, Catherine Whitaker, Veronica Cipeda Roig would have been a nutritionist. (laughs) And her long term goal is to reach the top twenty. David Law discovers Wikipedia, ladies and gentlemen. Can I just (laughs) tell you one other thing about her that you won't find on Wikipedia? Oh yeah, go on then. She chews gum throughout her tennis matches, or certainly she did today. How really? weird is that? Crikey, that strikes me as a bit dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. Surely that's a choking risk. She chewed gum throughout that match. I found it... Ri- wow. I, I, I'm not... Sh- Look, tweet us if you've ever seen that before in a you know top... Le- I'm not talking club level. <laughs> in a top level uh, professional tennis match. I certainly haven't. It really... I noticed it instantly. It really jarred. Uh, look, it worked for her for a set and a bit. But, uh, yeah, it really struck me. So there you go. Add that to her Wikipedia page, someone. Yeah, will do. Absolutely. Right, there we are. Uh, Catherine Whittaker, you better get to bed because it's rest time. It's quarter to midnight. This is the sort of dedication that Catherine Whittaker is bringing to the tennis podcast this year, folks. And, uh, daily podcasts we've been bringing you from the, from the tennis and podcast. And could I just uh, so, say something quickly on. on that subject? Um, yeah. Because we, we hadn't necessarily planned to bring uh, daily podcasts from the French Open. It, it, we'd... We'd promised to do them from all the other slams where David Law is present and we're doing our very best and have succeeded so far in uh, bringing you daily podcasts from this one as well. And and pretty much the only way that that's been made possible is because we've been able to employ an editor, which takes a lot of the manpower and time uh, required away from us. I mean, obviously, we still have to record the podcast and we love doing so, but... Um, it is an enormous, enormous help to have an editor working with us. And that simply wouldn't be possible if it weren't for all of our Kickstarter backers. And uh, I'm so very grateful. There's been so many kind people on Twitter saying, you know, thank you and how much they're enjoying the daily podcast from the French. But really, it would not be even close to possible without the Kickstarter backing. So thank you. Indeed. Well said, Catherine. And that editor's name is Patrick. We'll give him a quick name check because he'll be listening to this while he edits this podcast in about 10 minutes time. Catherine Whitaker, go and get to bed. Uh, You'll be up bright and early to preview the day's play on Eurosport. Don't forget the whole thing live on Eurosport uh, and on the Eurosport player as well. Uh, I'm David Law. I'm not there. I'm just going to keep watching and making rubbish predictions. Catherine Whitaker will be there talking to the great and good of the tennis world. We'll be back with another tennis podcast tomorrow. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 